Hey, and thanks for taking the time to listen with us here at Gospel Way as we seek to find rest in Christ. Please know that this is supplemental and does not replace your local church or the pastor that God has given to shepherd your soul. But it is our prayer that God will use these resources to bless you and point you to Jesus. Let me call our attention this morning to the book of Matthew chapter 24. The book of Matthew chapter 24. We were, or I was actually going to try to look at uh, three different parables that are given here, uh, but probably all we're going to look in depth at is one and see how that leads into the two that follow. As we've met this morning, in our scripture reading, in our devotion, in the songs that were sang, there was enough gospel to save the world. And that was because one story was told over and over again. And it was the story of Christ our Redeemer. Uh, as we come together this morning around this parable, we're going to look at the parable of the fig tree. But before we start into it, I want to ask you a question. Have you ever had misunderstood conversations? Uh, if you're married, you've had misunderstood conversations. Uh, where you said something that you didn't mean to be understood the way it was said, and someone understood something to mean something you didn't mean it when you said it. Uh, and I think that as we look at this passage of Scripture this morning, we're going to see some of that. Probably one of the... One of, I don't want to say most misunderstood chapters in the Word of God, but probably the most misinterpreted is the chapter that we're going to be dealing with. And I think Christ brings some light to that misunderstanding even in this parable. The first Adam brought condemnation. When he sinned in the garden, <coughs> condemnation was brought. And Christ, when he came, even made the statement in John chapter number 3, he made the statement, I came not into the world to condemn the world, for the world was condemned already. But he came to bring life and peace and rest. So we understand that the second item brought Rest and reconciliation. The first Adam brought to us condemnation. The second Adam brought rest and reconciliation. Christ presents to us rest and peace. But man, in our thinking, 
still always takes us back to what the first Adam brought. Man always takes us back to bondage and misunderstanding, mis, uh, unrest is what we bring upon ourselves. And I said all of that to say this. I said all of that by way of introduction of what we're going to look at because I think a lot of things here, if you walk away from this chapter with a misunderstanding, you're going to walk away from this chapter in unrest. You're going to walk away from this chapter not having peace. And that was not the intention And I think we're going to see that from Scripture this morning. Let's pick up in verse number 32. And we'll read down through verse number 36. If your Bibles are broken up and and has headings over it, probably most of them don't add 36 to 32, 32 down through 35. But I think it's necessary for us to add that to it in our reading. In verse number 32, the Bible tells us, Now learn a parable of the fig tree. When his branch is yet tender and putteth forth leaves, ye know that summer is nigh. So likewise ye, when ye shall see all these things, know that it is near even at the door. Verily I say unto you, this generation shall not pass till all these things be fulfilled. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. But of that day and hour knoweth no man, no, not the angels of heaven, but my Father only. Let's pray. Father, this morning I pray that you remind us through Scripture who you are. Lord, I pray, Lord, that we're reminded who we are and most importantly who you are. I pray that the Holy Spirit of God who first inspired these Scriptures would shine a light upon them in our hearts and awaken them in our hearts. And Lord, may it be added to our hearing, to our living. And Lord, may we live that radiant truth that you show us in this passage of Scripture. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You find this parable that's mentioned here, you find it also in the book of Mark, chapter 13 and verse 28 through 32. And you also find it in the book of Luke, chapter 21 and verse 29 through 33. The meaning that we come to in this passage of Scripture is not to be merely that of during a state of confusion which is mentioned, there will be an evident sign of Christ's return. And, and what I'm saying is All of these things that have been presented beforehand, all of these things that have been said beforehand were bringing about those difficult times. But as we come to this 
last portion that or, or this portion of scripture that Christ is presenting here of the fig tree, we know with certainty that because of what Christ is mentioning, summer is coming. And summer is at hand. The trees began to grow green, but Christ expresses something else in this passage of Scripture. In the winter, if you were to consider what He's talking about, the fig tree or the budding here and and what's taking place, in the winter, trees contract by the severity of the cold. They, They draw in. They're drawn in and most of the time have greater vigor at that time to survive that which they're going through. Well, there's things that were mentioned beforehand, the things that were that Christ was talking about is going to happen, going to take place. And there's some interesting things that you can look at in light of the fig tree. In fact, the fig tree has two times of fruit bearing. It has one, and in between the one and the other, there's leaves that spring forth, and then there's another fruiting of the fig tree. And Christ may be alluding to the fact of Israel from the Old Testament, and then there's the grafting in of the Gentiles in the New Testament, and understanding that they're all one fruit. Understanding, like we've said in time past, it's all one story. God is talking about the redemption of His people. And you and I understand that in the Old Testament, the story centers much around the Jewish nation. Why does it do that? It centers around the Jewish nation because we know that is where Christ is coming from. And when He springs forth, He is the firstborn among many brethren. He is, he is the one that is bringing all together. So we understand that as we look at this passage of Scripture, in the winter the trees contract and there's the severity of the cold, but in spring they lose their toughness. They, they sometimes appear even more feeble than they did in the wintertime. They even split open sometimes. And they split open for what reason? To bring in fresh twigs. To allow fresh branches to grow forth from the tree. The perception of the flesh, the church is softened and and it does not impair the vigor. This inward sap that flows through uh, the the fig tree, and throughout the whole tree is producing a softness to produce a fruit that comes forth. The general instruction conveyed is that the weak and frail condition of the church that's being seen beforehand here ought not to lead to the conclusion that it's dying because it's not. There's coming, there's springing forth summer it's to expect the immortal glory of God that prepares his people for the affliction that Christ is getting ready to go through the the affliction Christ is getting ready to face 
that he's getting ready to go through on the cross of Calvary. Even the Apostle Paul maintains in reference to each member that it must be fulfilled in the whole body. That if the outward man is decayed, the inward man is renewed day by day, Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 16. But what Paul, uh, what Matthew and Mark had stated more obscurely is know that it is nigh. It's even at the door. But Luke says something that's interesting. He adds a little extra to this parable that we're looking at. Luke adds the extra and his extra that is added, he said, know you that the kingdom of God is at hand. This passage of the kingdom of God is not represented as in many passages at its commencement, at its beginning, but it's pre- presented at its perfection or its ending. And that according to the views of those who Christ was teaching in this parable. They did not view the kingdom of God in the gospel as a consisting in peace and joy and faith and spiritual righteousness, but they sought the blessed rest and the glory that was concealed under the hope till that last day. I know that probably everything that I've said up to this point is maybe somewhat confusing, but here's what I'm trying to get to. Christ is not saying what He's saying to present unrest to the people that He's talking to. He is presenting joy and peace at the promise that He is coming again. At the promise that He will return. Though Christ employs a general expression, He does not extend this to all the miseries which are to befall the church. You and I understand some things. You and I look back on history. We know some things that happened. We know some things that took place. These hearers of this parable did not know what was about to happen. They did not know what was about to take place. Part of what was being told here and what's talked about throughout chapter number 24 that I think Jesus is concluding and bringing together is what they're about to face, what they're about to go through. Many times when people look at Matthew chapter number 24, they look at Matthew chapter 24 and this is what we try to bring into it. We try to bring in that there's going to be earthquakes and there's going to be wars and there's going to be rumors of wars and there's going to be all these things before the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. There are. But, but those began a long time ago. Right. Those are not things that are new. It's not things that just began to happen. 
And yet Christ tells us that these are signs of His return. Christ is getting ready to go to the cross. He has talked to His disciples. He's told them numerous times that He must lay down His life and that He will not be with them always. And now He is using this passage of Scripture to encourage them and to let them know even though those winter times come, even though those difficult times come, that He will return. He will come again. And as we look at this and understand this, the readers that were listening to Him within the next 50 years, there's some things that are going to happen to them that they're going to, their, their nation basically is going to be destroyed. The temple's going to be torn down. It's going to be done away with. These things are going to be gone. So understand that Christ in the midst of everything that is happening and everything that's going to happen is giving them an encouragement that the fruit shall remain. That it shall be there. He merely informs them that before the single generation, He tells them, in fact, in verse number 34, He makes this statement. He said, Verily I say unto you, this generation shall not pass till all these things be fulfilled. That's, that's a huge verse for a lot of prophecy preachers. They try to pull in and say, this has to happen or that has to happen or this is going to take place or this is going to happen. And, and, and I, don't want, I don't want to go there this morning. What I want to tell you this morning is Christ is being encouraging of the experience that's about to happen. He's letting them know they're about to face some things. And understand in the midst of facing those things, those difficult times, and, and you and I know that, like I said, we look back at history, we know that within the next 50 years of this passage of Scripture, that the temple's going to be gone, their nation's going to be destroyed, and He's encouraging them that the fruit shall remain. Encouraging them that although we may go through those winters, spring's coming, summer's coming. Christ is coming back. He's going to do what He said. He even made the statement here. He said, this generation shall not pass. And this generation that He's talking about here and what He's dealing with in this passage of Scripture is the generation that is listening to Him now shall not pass till the coming of the Lord shall be. And he's not talking about they're going to have to see him come. He's talking about the promise of his coming. This, this was not a checklist for us to be able to say, okay, now this has happened and this has happened and this has happened. Now Christ is coming again. Not to say that there isn't some applications of Scripture that we can look at, but understand that the promise of His coming is what we need to be looking forward to. That is what He wants us to see. Within 50 years, the city and the temple are going to be destroyed. The whole country is going to be reduced to a hideous desert and the 
uh, 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 the, the world is going to rise up against the Lord Jesus Christ. It's going to rise up against God. There was rage to exterminate the doctrine of salvation. There's false teachers that are going to rise to corrupt the pure gospel. They're going to bring their imposters. And religion is going to uh, face an amazing shock that the whole company of the ungodly will be distressed. When we come to verse number 35, he tells us heaven and earth shall not pass away. In order to secure a greater confidence, his statement he is giving to the disciples and giving to those that are hearing, he illustrates to them that heaven and earth shall pass away, but His words shall not pass away. Amen. What are His words? His words are the words of encouragement that He's trying to encourage them. That's the whole reason I ask you the question, have you ever had a misunderstood conversation? I think so many times this passage of Scripture is misunderstood as to be a checklist. It's misunderstood to be uh, that... Uh, you need to be sure that you're in your high tower of watchmanship and you're watching and looking for all of these things to happen knowing that Christ is going to return as all of these things have happened. No, that's not what He's telling you. He's telling you that you ought to be encouraged in the very fact that Christ will return. Yes, sir. That He's going to return. Yet this passage, from this passage, we draw useful doctrine, the doctrine of our salvation, because it's founded in the promises of Christ. Where is our, where is the promise of our salvation? It's, it's, it's in the very promises of Christ. It does not fluctuate according to the various agitations of this world. This world should not shake us. The happenings of this world should not shake us. I, I try very, very specifically not to pull in all of the world things that are going on around us. Why? Because if we see Christ, all of these other things aren't going to matter. But may I say this morning, it does not matter what Russia's doing. It does not matter what's going on in Israel. I'm not telling us that we don't look at these things. I'm not telling us not to be concerned about the things that are going on in the world. But don't let that be a be be something that draws us down and and pulls us inside and and, and keeps us from having that peace and that comfort and that rest that Christ wants us to have. So much of the time we, we look around and we see all of these things happening around us and we get so fearful and we get so worried. I want you to be encouraged this morning. I want you to be, to, to be uplifted this morning in the promise that Christ is going to return. Yes. Right. Yes. And He's going to return for His people. Yes. Amen. Yes. It, if, 
if all this chapter was was a checklist, then why did Christ give us verse number 36? He says here, but of that day and hour knoweth no man. No, not the angels of heaven, but my Father only. In one of the other passages of Scripture that I gave you, it even tells us the Son of God does not know the day of His return. And, and we'll get into that in just a moment. But understand that if this was a checklist, if, if, if chapter number 24 was a checklist, if that's what Christ was trying to get us to have is a checklist so we know when He's coming again, let me ask you a question. And, and I'll give you an illustration. How many of us, if we knew the exact time Christ was coming again, how many of us would live as excited about His coming as we do not knowing the time of His coming. I'll give you this illustration. And, and, and I've, I've used this illustration before. My, my dad, for all of my life growing up, had his own roofing company. Well, in order to get on roofs, you have to have ladders. And in order to carry ladders back and forth, he had a pickup truck that had ladder racks. We lived on a bumpy dirt road. So I knew my dad was coming before he ever got to the house because I heard the ladders rattling. There were particular times that my dad would give me tasks to do, tell me something to do, and I would always, I, I'm, I am a master procrastinator. I don't know about you. But I, I, I don't have a hard time just putting things off to the last minute. Brother Charles, I can remember as if it were yesterday when my dad told me that my job was to clean out the carport. My dad did a lot of mechanical work and he was going to be working on another vehicle and he wanted the carport cleaned out. He wanted everything cleaned up so that he could come in and he could be able to go right to work on the vehicle he was going to work on. Well, if you know anything about roofing, you can't roof in the rain sometimes. So I come home, I figure I have, I have this many hours of playing before I have to go to work before I have to get this thing done. I didn't anticipate my dad coming home early. But Brother Charles, I heard the ladders rattling coming down the road. So I got busy doing what I was doing. In, in, not even in light of that, but other times. There were times that I looked forward to my dad coming home. And I would look forward to those ladders rattling on the ladder rack. What are you saying? I'm saying that if we knew the time, we would schedule it in. He was telling us that he didn't know the time and we don't know the time. He said, no man knoweth the day nor the hour, not even the angels in heaven. And, and how, how dare we think 
that if God does not allow the angels in heaven who are around His throne with Him, if He did not allow them to know, what makes us think we can narrow it down? That wasn't what this was all about. This was all about there are troubling times. You and I live in troubling times. Paul said perilous times shall come. When he made that statement, he meant the same thing that was meant here. Perilous times are among us. We're always going to live in perilous times. So we need to be vigilant in those perilous times. We need to be looking for, and the more we look for the return of the Lord Jesus Christ, the more excited we are about the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. He said, the day and the hour knoweth no man. By this sentence, Christ intended to hold the minds of the believers in suspense. Not to, not to hold them there so that there is some, something that He's lording over them, but it is to bring an excitement to them that the Lord will return. We're, we're holding to the promise of His return. And as we hold to that promise, he tells us we don't know the day nor the hour. So be excited every day. Be joyful every day that the Lord will return. <laughs> we know how fickle our minds are and how much we, we are tickled by the vein of curiosity. That's what drives us to think we have to have a checklist. As I've already said, Mark adds, nor the Son of God Himself knows the time. So we would be crazy to think that we're going to figure out something that not even the Son of Man knows. The, the thing that, that I want us to understand, when he makes that statement that not even the Son of Man knows, understand there are people that would tell you that because of that statement that Christ is not God. Because God knows everything. But he's not talking about that. He's looking at that person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Was Jesus Christ when he was on the earth when he was walking on the face of the earth, was he subject to anxiety? Was he subject to all the things we are subject to? Is that not what it tells us in the book of Hebrews that we have an high priest that is touched with the feelings of our infirmities? It is the man, Jesus Christ, who did not know. God himself knew, but man, the man, Christ Jesus did not know. But all of this was brought about for one reason, and it was so that we are prepared, that we look for, that we're excited about the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. In light of that, and we're not going to try to break apart these other two parables, but the other two parables that are mentioned here When you look at those and when you read those, understand those two parables with the same understanding that it is the excitement of His return. It is the joy that 
He will return. It is a promise of His return that should be the driving force in those two parables. The parable of the foolish virgins or the, the, the servants. Those things are not meant to, to tell us that, that we have to have this or we have to have that or, or you, you've got to make sure that your, your lamp's trimmed or you've got to... A lot of those are, are statements that when many people stand behind the pulpit, they use those statements to place the people of God under a under a, a point of anxiousness or a point of anxiety to say you've got you've to do this or you've got to do that. That's not what Christ is doing. He's once again through the, even the next two parables, He's trying to tell us to be excited about His return. Is His return coming? Yes. We're given that promise. He promised He would return again. He said, if I go away, I will go away and prepare a place for you that where I am there you may be also. He's gone to prepare a place for us. He's given us that place with Him. We're in Christ Jesus. We're we're going to spend eternity with Him. We're going to know Him throughout eternity. He gave us that promise. And that promise ought to be that that encourages us. Not that, that promise of His return is not to bring anxiety upon us. It's to cause us to rest in the promise of His return. In, instead of saying, I, I, I'm apprehensive because God's going to come back, I'm excited that He is. I'm looking forward to seeing Him. If we have that attitude, that's going to drive us to do the things that He would have us to do. If <laughs> I'll give you this example. When my wife had our first child, she was in the hospital. And I knew the day that she's coming home. This when when we were having children's that weren't children's when we were having children we 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 did I didn't stay in the hospital with my wife I was there with her I went in when they were born but in the evenings I went home and she stayed there at the hospital well what I did on the day that she's coming home brother Charles is. I went by the flower shop and bought flowers and put them out. I went by the, 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 the store and got ribbons and hung ribbons in the bedroom where when she came in to lay down in the bed, there'd be whatever you call them things, streamers that I had streamers and had balloons. And why? Because I was excited about her return. If you and I are looking at Scripture with an excitement of His return, we're going to be we're going to be in preparation for His return. But if all we're ever told 
is the Lord's coming back and boy does he have a big belt. Or, or how many times have we even heard this statement? Jesus is coming again to a town near you. with that purpose of placing fear upon people. That's not what Christ is about. He's about that joyous reunion with His children. And if we have that in mind, that is going to set us on course to be obedient to Him. I'll be honest with you. I've had my children obey me a lot more when they were happy to be around me than me trying to produce fear in them to get them to listen. I'd be mean, but it don't change them like it changes them if they're looking forward to having that time. And, and honestly, I'm not mean. You can ask Jeffrey. I'm not mean. I'm, I, I'm not going to go there. But anyway... <laughs> If we're looking for the Lord's return and we're at rest with His return and we're not being bombarded with anxiety about His return, then we're, we're living that life that He would have for us to live. And as we live that, we can be a representation of Christ before this world. Let's pray.